Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 17, Secret Service. I must not linger over degrees and phases. Every morning, Gibby got into the kitchen in good time and not only did more and more of the work, but did it more and more to the satisfaction of Jean. Until short of the actual making of the porridge, he did everything antecedent to the men's breakfast. When Jean came in, she had put but to take the lid from the pot, put in the salt, assume the spurtle, and grasping the first handful of the meal, which stood ready, waiting in the bossy, on the stone cheek of the fire, throw it in, thus commencing the simple cookery of the best of all dishes to a true-hearted and healthy Scotsman. Without further question, she attributed all the aid she received to the goodness of Donald Grant, and continued to make acknowledgment of the same in both sort and quantity of victuals. Whence, as has been shown, the real laborer received his due reward. Until he had thoroughly mastered his work, Gibby persisted in regarding manners economic from his loophole in the ceiling, and having at length learned the art of making butter, soon arrived at some degree of perfection in it. But when at last one morning he not only churned, but washed and made it up entirely to Jean's satisfaction, she did begin to wonder how a would both have such perseverance and be so clever at a woman's work. For now she entered the kitchen every morning without a question of finding the fire burning, the water boiling, the place clean and tidy, the supper dishes well washed and disposed on shelf and rack. Her own part was merely to see that proper cloths were handy to so thorough a user of them. She took no one into her confidence on the matter. It was enough, she judged, that she and Donald understood each other. And now if Gibby had contented himself with rendering his, this house service in return for the shelter of the barn and its hay, he might have enjoyed both longer. But from the position of his night quarters, he came gradually to understand the work of the stable also. And before long the men, who were quite ignorant of anything similar taking place in the house, began to observe more of the, to their wonder than satisfaction, that one or other of their horses was generally groomed before his man came to, to him, that often there was hay in their racks, which they had not given them, and that the master's white horse every morning showed signs of having had some attention paid him that could not be accounted for. The result was much talk and speculation, suspicion and offense, for all were jealous of their rights, their duty, and their dignity in relation to their horses. No man was at liberty to do a thing to or for any but his own pair. Even the brightening of the harness brass, in which Gibby sometimes indulged, was an offense, for did it not imply a reproach? Many were the useless traps laid for the offender, many the futile attempts to surprise him, as Gibby never did anything except for half an hour or so while the men were sound asleep or at breakfast. He escaped discovery, but he could not hold continuance and neglect carrying out the experiment on which he had resolved with regard to the effect of water upon his own skin. 
and having found the result a little surprising, he soon got into the habit of daily and thorough ablution. But many animals that never wash are yet cleaner than some that do, and walked with the scantiness of his clothing, his constant exposure to the atmosphere, and his generally lying in a fresh lair, Gibby had always been comparatively clean. Besides being nice in his mind, he was naturally nice in his body. The new personal regard, thus roused by the presence of Snowball, had its development greatly assisted by the scrupulosity with which most things in the kitchen and chief of all, in this respect, the churn, were kept. It required much effort to come up to the nicety considered by Jean indispensable in the churn, and the croucher on the ceiling, when he saw the long nose advance to prosecute inquiry into its condition, mentally trembled lest the next movement should condemn his endeavor as a failure. With his clothes he could do nothing, alas, but he bathed every night in the lorry as soon as Donnell had gone home with the cattle. Once he got into a deep hole, but managed to get out again, and so learned that he could swim. All day he was with Donnell, and took from him by much the greater part of his labor. Donald had never had such time for reading. In return, he gave him his dinner, and Gibby could do very well upon one meal a day. He paid him also in poetry. It never came into his head, seeing he never spoke, to teach him to read. He soon gave up attempting to learn anything from him as to his place, or people, or history. For to all questions in that direction, Gibby only looked grave and shook his head. As often, on the other hand, as he tried to learn where he spent the night, he received for answer only one of them his merriest laughs. Nor was larger time for reading the sole benefit Gibby conferred upon Donald. Such was the avidity and growing intelligence with which he listened to what Donald read to him, that his presence was much added to Donald's own life's soul of thought and feeling. From listening to his own lips through Gibby's ears, he not only understood many things better, but perceiving what things most must puzzle Gibby, came sometimes rather to his astonishment to see that in fact he did not understand them himself. Thus the bond between the boy and the child grew closer, far closer indeed than Donald imagined. His ordinary mental position towards him was one of kind, condescension. It was not all fine weather up there among the mountains in the beginning of summer. In the first week of June, even, there was sleet and snow in the wind, the tears of the vanquished winter, blown as it fled across the sea from Norway or Iceland. Then would Donald's heart be sore for Gibby when he saw his poor rags blown about like streamers in the wind and the white spots melting on his bare skin. His own condition would then to many have appeared pitiful enough, but such an idea Donald would have laughed to scorn and justly. Then most, perhaps then only, does the true generous nature feel poverty. When he sees another in need and can do little or nothing to help him. Donald had neither great coat, plaid, nor umbrella wherewith to shield Gibby's looped and windowed raggedness. Once in great pity he pulled off his jacket and threw it on Gibby's shoulders, but the shout of laughter that burst from the boy as he flung the jacket from him and rushed away into the middle of the feeding herd, a shout that came from no cave of rudeness, but from the very depths of delight, stirred by the loving kindness of the act, startled Donald out of his pity into brief anger 
and he rushed after him in indignation, with full purpose to teach him proper behavior by a box on each, on each ear. But Gibby dived under the belly of a favorite cow, and peering out sideways from under her neck and between her forelegs, his arms grasping each a leg, while the cow went on twisting her long tongue round the grass and plucking it undisturbed, showed such an innocent countenance of holy merriment that the pride of Donald's hurt benevolence melted away, and his laughter emulated Gibby's. That sort of day was in truth drearier for Donald than for Gibby, for the books he had were not his own, and he dared not expose them to the rain. Some of them indeed came from glass rock, the muckle hoose they generally called it. When he left him, it was to wander disconsolately about the field, while Gibby, sheltered under a whole cow, defied the chill and the sleet, and had no books of which to miss the use. He could not, it is true, shield his legs from the insidious attacks of such sneaking blasts, as will always find out the undefended spots. But his great heart was so well-to-do in the inside of him that, unlike Touchstone, he was not weary. He cared not for his legs. The worst storm in the world could not have made that heart quail. For think, there had just been the strong, the well-dressed, the learned, the wise, the altogether mighty and considerable Donald. The cowherd actually desiring him, we, Sir Gibby Galbraith, the naked and generally the hungry little tramp, to wear his jacket to cover him from the storm. The idea was one of eternal triumph, and Gibby, exulting in the unheard of devotion and condescension of the thinking, kept on laughing like a blessed cherub under the cow's belly. Nor was there in his delight the smallest admixture of pride that he should have drawn forth such kindness. It was simply glorying in the beauteous fact. As to the cold and the sleet, so far as he knew, they never hurt anybody. They were not altogether pleasant creatures, but they could not help themselves and would soon give over their teasing. By tomorrow they would have wandered away into other fields and left the sun free to come back to Donald and the cattle. When Gibby at present, shielded by the friendliest of cows, would come in for a share of the light and the warmth, Gibby was so confident with the animals that they were already even more friendly with him than with Donald, all except Horny, who was friendliest with the one who gave her the hardest blows. Thank you for listening to Acresoft Story Classic.